Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Happy Fourth of July. Doing good. All right. We're alive. Here we go. Hey, listen, I'm really glad to be here today. And uh, this is the first of several different occasions I'll get to come and join you guys on a Sunday as Andrew's on sabbatical. I'll join uh, your elders and preaching team here to, uh, to stand in occasionally through our series on Mark while he's on sabbatical. So yeah, thank you so much, I guess. The first service, I was like stumbling over my words a bit when I did that. And I go, so it'll be a treat for you that I'm here. And I was like, that's not what the, I'm not that's not what I meant to say. And I thought, I don't even know what I'm saying. Let me just pray, lest I digress any farther. So I'm not a treat. I'm just Chad. And I'm just one of the elders at this church. And uh, I'm privileged, though, to be here with you. So let's pray, and we'll jump into our scripture today. Uh, Father, thank you for today. And thank you for gathering us around your son, around your word, by your spirit, and uh, under your blessing. And so for the variety of ways we're coming into this moment, Jesus, I pray that you would speak courage to the anxious heart. I pray that you'd speak peace to the fearful heart. And I pray that you'd bring alignment to all of us. All of us come in confused in some place. So I pray you'd bring alignment to us as we encounter your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1995, Pope John Paul II gave a speech at the 50th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations, and his speech focused on the social, political, and economic freedom for all people. And he made this small statement in that speech. He said, the universal longing for freedom is one of the distinguishing marks of our day. The universal longing for freedom is one of the distinguishing marks of our day. He said that over 25 years ago, 
And that rings true. If you hear that statement, it rings true as much today as it may have then. And in our culture moment, it's not just about social, political, economic freedom. The cry is for freedom in all kinds of places. There's a cry in our day for moral freedom, isn't there? The sexual liberation movement has been crying out for decades, constantly redefining terms and longing for freedom through pleasure. There's a cry, and a just cry, for racial freedom, that there would be a way which people from every skin color would be looked at with the dignity that they deserve as being image bearers of their creator, of our creator. And the list goes on. The point is there's a deep and shared longing in every human soul for freedom. You think about our own national history. The American Revolution is about freedom, freedom of worship, freedom from the monarchy, freedom to have the voice of the people, right? A democracy. Our own national history speaks to that. We are people, if we're honest with ourselves, even as Americans who pride ourselves on being free, the reality is for all of us, freedom is still something we're grasping for. Even in a free nation, people who pride ourselves on the land of the free home of the brave We're still grasping for freedom. How do I know that? Well, because our own internal struggles and the voice of discontent inside of us bears witness that we're not yet where we want to be. We're not yet how we want to be. We claim to be free, but we rarely feel as free as we want to feel. We rarely experience the kind of freedom at a soul level that we want to feel, which is why our lives are clamoring and grasping in all different directions. And we can't find freedom on the inside. We look for it in money. We look for it in power and comfort and approval. And very often we'll pursue anything. We might even pursue everything that would present itself to us as an option for freedom or at a soul level to give us a sense of relief. We might even compromise ourselves. Some of us have. I know I have at points compromised myself on things I said I would never do because something presented itself as an option to feel a bit more liberated. Wherever you are in the room, the point I want to make as we jump in this morning is that every single one of us from different backgrounds, different experiences, different hang-ups, different impulses, all of us have a common longing for liberty and freedom, something way more than money and politics can bring to us. And it's this longing for freedom that brings us to the passage that was read just moments ago in John chapter 8. Jesus is going to chime in on this shared longing we have. He knows it's there. He actually put it there, right? He's going to chime in on this shared longing for freedom and about life with him. And what Jesus is going to say today in John chapter 8, I just want to pause and say this. What Jesus is going to say today might just be life-changing for some of you. It might just be life-changing. It's certainly life-changing for all of us. It might be new to some of you. It might be something you're reintroduced to or you rediscover for others. But Jesus is gonna say some things about true freedom. He's gonna say some things about the power that he has to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And if we would just but turn to him, he would say, "Let let me serve you, let me help you. And so where we pick up in the text today, Jesus is in this lengthy conversation with the religious leaders of his day. They were always trying to argue with Jesus to trap him, and they were challenging Jesus on the authority that he claimed he has to forgive sins. Jesus is claiming to not only forgive sins and have the authority to do so, but he's claiming God as his father. He's claiming to be the light of the world, and they're saying, who do you think you are? 
Aren't you just the carpenter's son from Nazareth? Like, is there anything good that comes out of that town? Who do you think you are to claim such things for yourself? Turn again to verse 31. But Jesus said to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You might think of that as a movie quote. Jesus is the originator, right? If you abide in my word, if you hang with me, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is doing is he's flipping our sort of natural instincts of concepts on its head. What he just suggested is a massive claim that truth is not something, but truth is someone. Truth is not like some people would say, I've got to go find truth. I've got to go on a conquest to find truth. Truth is not something you go out to find. Truth is a person that you come to know. So you think about this conversation and this statement coming full circle in just a few chapters from now. In John chapter 14, Jesus makes the famous line, I am the way, I am the truth. Truth is not something, truth is someone. Truth isn't found in science or philosophy or psychology or medicine or law or even religion. There might be hints of truth in those things, but they're all coming from one fountainhead. Jesus is saying that he is the source of all truth and all truth points back to him. He is the fountainhead of all moral and ethical and cosmic truth. Everything that flows from him, all truth flows from him and points back to him. He's saying big words here. He is the ultimate and authoritative, objective, absolute over all times, all peoples, and all places. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying in this statement is that the breath of every person on the planet is being held together by him. That all creation flows from him and it's for him. Every life has been created by him and for him. And one day every person will answer to him. This is what Jesus means when he says that he is the truth. And he's the only one that can make you free. This was a massively unpopular statement in his day. (laughs) This statement is maybe even more unpopular today. And here's why. Because no one wants to submit to an absolute truth. People want relative truth. What's true for you? That's great. What's true for me is true for me. So, so long as we don't hurt each other, let's just learn to coexist, right? Let's just learn to get along together. And what Jesus is saying is that might sound nice. That might sound harmonious. That might sound peaceful. It just doesn't work that way. It it can't work that way. We live in a world, and you know this, that is telling us that if you want to find freedom, you're going to find it through achievement and advancement and success. You're going to find it through sexual discovery and conquest. You're going to find it through having experiences and more experiences, right? The problem with all of that is that many of us have many of the things the world tells us that we need to have in order to feel free and be free and liberated. And many of us have the things that we believe we need to have in order to feel free and liberated at the soul level in every kind of way. The problem is, with all of those possessions, with all of those experiences, we're still in a rut. Which means that the problem for you, the problem for me, and the problem for every person on the planet isn't that we don't have enough stuff. It's not that we haven't experienced enough things. The problem for every person on the planet is a broken relationship with truth himself. It's sin, it's rebellion, 
It's a broken relationship with the man, capital T, truth. This is why Jesus says to know me, to lean on me, to abide in me, to hold on to me. This is to be free because I am true freedom. Now, there were many people who heard what Jesus said, just like there might be in this room, who disagree with what he's saying. They did not like what, he, what they were hearing. They had massive problems with it, and they respond to him in verse 33. They said, hey, but we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, so how is it that you tell me that you can make us free? What they just said to Jesus was, how is it that you can make us free? Don't you know that we're Jewish people? Don't you know that we're Abraham's offspring? We're the chosen race of God. We've never been enslaved by anybody. So what are you talking about that you have some ability that we don't have that was already given to us by God? The odd thing is they are coming at Jesus big and bold, but they've become so self-focused, so self-absorbed. They've become so entitled over time with their understanding of what they think it means to be God's chosen people that they've forgotten the fact that throughout their history, all they've known is slavery. They've been enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Philistines, by the Syrians, by the Greeks. And in this moment, when they're saying this to Jesus, they're currently under Roman occupation. All they've known is slavery. They're under an illusion of freedom when all they've known is slavery. And the same is true for many of us. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're hearing this thinking, how is it that Jesus is the only way to freedom? Surely there are more ways to freedom than just one. Maybe, I'm, maybe, maybe you're saying, I'm just loosely attached to Jesus. I'm Jesus adjacent. Um, I'm barely even aligned with Jesus. Life is going fine with me. I'm here because my family wanted me here. Uh, I'm not really sure I believe in all this. I'm just looking to get to the barbecue later. I'm doing life just fine. I feel free. I'm not sure that I need Jesus. Notice Jesus' response. He responds to them and he responds to us who are under the illusion, potentially, of freedom apart from him. He says in 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So here's his response. No, 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 no. Listen, you aren't free even if you can't see it. Hear me when I say you are slaves, even if you can't see it. And what he's saying to that original Jewish audience is that the slavery that they're dealing with is much more dangerous than what the Egyptians ever thought about doing to their ancestors. The slavery that they're dealing with is far more sinister than anything the Greeks ever thought about doing to the Jewish people. The kind of slavery that they're dealing with is far more worse, or far, far worse than anything that could put scars on your back. This is scars on your soul. He says you're a slave to sin. And when he says this to this Jewish audience, it's not just for them. He's saying this to you and me. He's saying this to you and me today. This is a, a living and active word. And, and listen, like, it's difficult to be this honest with ourselves because no one showed up today going, you know what I want to do? I want to come to church and I want to raise my hand and go, he's talking about me. I'm a slave to sin. That's me. Like, you're describing me. You're giving my profile. No, no one wants to do that. No one wants to be that honest with ourselves. We want to think the best of ourselves. We, we want to think of ourselves in terms of our vices to go, oh, well, they're, not, they're not that bad. And instead of being honest about our true condition, I know here's what I do oftentimes. I would rather just 
spend my time figuring out how to fake it and have a facade of Christian spirituality, hoping if I can just pull that off long enough, then all my struggles will just kind of go away and it'll all come out in the wash. It'll all just kind of work itself out. But Jesus is saying anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And wouldn't it just be beautiful if God could help us have that kind of self-awareness and honesty just to agree with him for a moment in order to experience, like, what if we could just have a moment of honesty to go, hey, I, I want to love Jesus, but I'm just struggling with this whole thing. I, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I've got some doubts that I can't seem to get around and get over. I have some sin in my life that's just eating my lunch, and I'm not sure how to get out of it. I feel stuck. I'm in a rut, and I don't know what to do, right? Yet instead of confessing those kinds of things, we just assume, think better of ourselves. Yet no matter how hard we try to convince ourselves that we're good, can we just be honest that porn is shredding us? It's shredding relationships. It's shredding our minds. It's shredding us as a culture. It's shredding even Christians as we participate in this. Eating disorders. This isn't stuff outside of the room. This isn't stuff in the world out there. This is stuff inside. Intense anxiety over body image is a paralyzing cycle for many. The fear of man and living for the approval and the endorsement of those around you is a never-ending treadmill that many of us live on. For others, you're haunted by shame in endless cycles of horrific thoughts and desires that you don't want but you can't escape and you just find yourself living in the midst of them and you're anxious and afraid and maybe even depressed. You see, left to ourselves, we'll never be free. Left to ourselves, it's true. What Jesus is saying, no matter how good we want to think of ourselves, we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to it. And it's only more real when you name it. And so the question is, how can we be free? Freedom at the soul level that's way bigger than anything a national government can provide for you. How can we be free from the rat race of our disordered impulses? Can we be free? We live in a moment where we want to sell our soul to success and more success. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but freedom can't be found there. You can't be defined by that, right? And so let's answer the question, can we be free? There's three ways available to us, and the first two don't work, right? There's three ways available to us, and the first two don't work. I want to name them because they're, they're really popular. Here's the first one. It's finding freedom through indulgence. Finding freedom through indulgence. You know you're finding freedom through indulgence when your MO, the way you live your life, is whatever I want, whenever I want it, however I want it, what I want, I get, right? There are no rules. Another sign that you're pursuing freedom through indulgence is that you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to other people in order to justify your actions that what you're doing is normal. Everyone else is sort of doing the same thing. Or you justify your actions by pointing to somebody else to say, yeah, I might be participating in some things I know I shouldn't be. I'm indulging myself here. I know it's sinful, but at least I'm not as bad as that guy. But at least I'm not as bad. At least I'm not doing it at the level of that person. This kind of pseudo-freedom, it tells us that we're free to just kind of indulge ourselves wherever our impulses take us, but it actually lies to us and it throws us in shackles, and here's why. Because it also tells you that you can never get out. 
that when you've pursued your indulgences, when you've pursued your impulses, it also tells you you're in too far, you can't get out. And the only way to numb the pain that you feel, in order, the only way to, uh, to numb the guilt and shame that you feel is to give yourself to more of the thing that you're trying to get rid of. Freedom through indulgence. And then you try to convince yourself, this is just must be who I am. I must just be this way. And then you'll start having this internal source of anger, pointing your finger at other people, blaming them for why you are the way that you are. Blame shifting is a classic technique to cover over shame. Classic technique. This is freedom through indulgence, and it's very popular. There's a second way to pursue freedom, and it's, it's honestly the pendulum swing. It's the way that people try to get out of indulgence. And it's this way, freedom through religion and morality. Freedom through religion and morality, trying harder, pulling yourself up. And this is often the response, again, to indulgence. It's like, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make promises and resolutions. I'm going to start busying myself with mounds of activities, making lists of morality to keep up with so that I can measure myself, so that I can know, well, at least I'm not doing that stuff anymore. At least I'm not that kind of person And the scary thing about freedom through religion, freedom through morality, is that for a while, it appears to work. For a while, it appears, look, I'm doing better. I'm not that person anymore. Look, I'm doing better. But only for a little while until that temptation comes back. Until not just the temptation comes back, but the sin comes back. And all of a sudden, the shame settles in again, and you start compromising on the promises you made, and you start trying to manage yourself and manage your image and manage even your desires instead of actually being transformed at the soul level, and then the shame cycle repeats itself, only this time you start making more promises and more resolutions, trying even harder than last time, and the cycle of religion goes over again. No, no, this time I'm really serious. The last seven times I wasn't serious. This time I'm going to throw my stick all the way into the fire fire and let my life burn. I I really mean it this time. I'm really going to do it. And that lasts for a while until the cycle starts again. And the reason that many people bail on God and want nothing to do with Christianity is because they think that's what this is. They boil all of this down to doing better and trying harder next time. They boil Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts in your best efforts. And listen, if that's all that this is, if all this is is just our best efforts at holding to a moral standard, then I would bail on this too. I would leave this too, but it, does, it doesn't work. And the religion game bears out the hard reality that you can't find freedom inside of yourself. You can't find freedom inside of your best efforts and your best hopes and your best resolutions. Freedom isn't found there. So you can find freedom through indulgence if you want to try. You can pursue morality and religion if you want. Or you can listen to what Jesus has to say, which is the third way. We've got one more verse, and we'll bring this to a close. Look at 36. Real simple. If the Son sets you free... You're free indeed. <laughs> it's such, such an anticlimactic verse, although it's the climax of the sermon, right? You're like, shouldn't it be more complicated than that? Shouldn't it be more insightful than that? If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, I want you to leave the verse on the screen for just a second. Because you got to notice how much of you shows up in that verse. 
a lot of you, a lot of me, shows up in finding freedom a lot of different ways. My commitments, my impulses, what I want, how good I am. But then there's a different kind of freedom that has nothing to do with your verdict. It has something to do with someone else's. And notice it doesn't say, the sun will set you free if you try hard enough for long enough. It doesn't say, if you make a commitment and mean it enough, the sun will set you free. It doesn't say, when you finally clean yourself up enough for God, then the sun will set you free indeed. It simply says, if the sun sets you free, you're free. End of sentence, period. So the Christian life isn't about trying harder. The Christian life isn't about making promises or following some code of behaviors. That's a newsflash to many in the room. Bible Belt religion would suggest otherwise. Christianity isn't about trying harder and doing better. Let me tell you what Christianity is. Christianity is confessing more. That's what it is, confessing more. I need help. I need, I need grace. I need direction. I need guidance. I need wisdom. I need protection. I need, I need, I need, I need. And Jesus goes, I know, I know, I know. And this is the what's holding you. This is what's drawing you. This is what's keeping you. This is what's helping you abide in me, Right? And so some of you are making decisions right now about your next secret indulgence to numb yourself from the pain you feel from the lack of freedom you experience. Some of you are caught in a circle of lashing yourself. I know this, I know this circle. Things that you've done, things that you've said, things that you've thought that seem to hover over you and you can't find any relief when you lay your head on the pillow at night and so you just beat yourself up. Some of you are wondering whether or not any of this is even true. And what Jesus is saying in the midst of all of that is, let me do something for you that you can't do for yourself, that only I can do and that I want to do. You realize there are depths in your soul that only the voice of Jesus can get to. There are things that you've tried to mantra over yourself. There are things that you've tried to believe are true. There are things that you've had other, you try to bait other people into telling you. But there are depths in your soul that only the voice of Jesus can get to. And he says, if I set you free, if I release you, then you really are free. You really are released. Now, if you're like me, you might be asking a question. Here's the big finish. Yeah, but how do I know I can trust Jesus? Like, that sounds too good to be true. It sounds too simple. It sounds, how do I, can I, can I really trust him there? What makes his verdict different? What makes his verdict more powerful than my mantras, right? Let me try to explain it this way. If your body goes into a tomb after being completely pulverized and totally lifeless, and you stay there for two days. But then on the third day, your lifeless heart starts beating again. And your once scabbed over eyes start blinking again. And your strong healing hands start moving again. And in the most swagger move of all of history, you fold up your own grave clothes 
And then you take the stone that was rolled in front of your tomb to make sure the Roman Empire could stay in power, and you roll away that stone. And you walk out into the Judean sunlight stronger and better than you did the first time. If all of that happens, there's a kind of universal reality present that whatever you say goes. If all of that happens, whatever you say goes. There is no higher verdict. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You see it. You see it. The cross and the death of Jesus means that God wrote a check. We don't write checks anymore, but run with me here. God wrote a check through the death of his son to pay your debt, my debt of sin. Precious, innocent blood poured out in payment for sinners like you and me. And the resurrection of Jesus means the check cleared. The check, every sin, past, present, future, every thought, every word, every action, every offense to God himself was laid on Jesus. Not some of it, not just the stuff he could handle, all of it. And this is why the freedom that Jesus brings goes deeper, it reaches farther, and it outlasts every other kind of pseudo-freedom this world throws at us. For those who look to Jesus, your future is secure. If the sun sets you free, you're really free. You belong to God. Listen, God didn't lose his son in the tomb, and he won't lose you either. He won't lose you either. What this means, what the verdict of Jesus means, is this is an indisputable sign that God is good and he is for you and he uses all of his power to work good even through suffering. That's true. When Jesus lays this verdict, it means, listen, that every breath you breathe is a breath where God the Father is present with you. Just use some logic with me really fast because I have to remind myself of this every day. He paid too much to have you that he would ever want to live a second without you. He paid too much to have you. Why would he miss a moment? And finally, it means that you're not defined by your past. Praise be to God. You're not defined by the opinions of others. Praise be to God. You're not defined by what other people think about you. You're not defined by what other people feel about you. You're not defined by what you feel about yourself. Praise be to God. You're defined by the final verdict of the resurrected king. If the sun sets you free, you're really free. And today, here's what's true. This word is living and active, and he stands to release any who would come to him. And if you're going, oh, I've already come to him. Today, he stands to continue to release any who have come because the journey of discipleship is a continual releasing peeling the onion of shackles and bondage to go, you are who I say you are. 